Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of MLOps Coffee Sessions. Hey, Demetrios, it's good to have you back here with us. What's happening? Thank you guys for joining us. Today, we have another very special guest joining us that we're excited to talk to, Dimitrio Zhogokov from Facebook, uh, where he is a technical lead on a variety of ML infrastructure projects like PyTorch and uh, Onyx, will be talking to us about what ML engineering looks like at Facebook, what the future of PyTorch is, and so much more. Thank you for joining us today, Dimitro. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. It's really special that, you know, we get to talk to someone that, you know, is, is involved with perhaps, you know, at least, you know, one of, if not the leading machine learning face frameworks uh, in PyTorch. And I guess I just want to start off by asking you, how did you end up in the role that you're in here today, at, you know, running machine learning infrastructure at Facebook? Can you tell us about your journey to this position? Yeah, sure. So... I mean, in general, I've been Facebook, or I guess after rebranding, it's now called Meta uh, for almost 10 years now. And I'm actually, I have like more systems background. So I was doing kind of infrastructure work before and like way back in college was doing some kind of programming competitions like Tubecoder and stuff. Um, so yeah, actually when I joined Facebook, uh, I was also working on infrastructure, mostly on kind of ranking recommendation systems for feed, uh, feed ads, but more on Kind of indexing and serving and all of uh, all of that kind of stuff. Just you know, but we're pretty early days. A lot of scaling challenges and a lot of like <laughs> firefighting going on. Uh, and kind of through through the journey, you know, because it was ranking recommendation systems fundamentally. Kind of started hanging out with ML people. And besides, you know, optimizing latencies and uh, building scalable services, also kind of learning how uh, what what of this ML stuff is about and what are all the features and models, et cetera, which run on those services are about. And I don't know, I mean, like I, I was always uh, found kind of fascinating to be uh, in developer kind of tooling space, the kind of intersection of infrastructure developer tooling space, because I feel it's like a big, a, a big kind of force multiplier. And it's also, if you, if you make a lot of people more productive, that kind of accelerates progress overall. Uh, so I kind of got a, a number of projects kind of related to machine learning developer tooling, kind of like a mailing friend, how to, and how to improve that and kind of work on different systems, you know, ranging from like, you know, tra uh, training data generation, like feature engineering, like model training, et cetera. And kind of over, uh, over several years, kind of got more and more into this ML infrastructure space. Uh, and yeah, about maybe like five years ago or so, like kind of started working on, kind of, uh, on, on deep learning related stuff. So that's, that's when, you know, deep learning revolution, which, which kind of started in like 2012 or so, like started hitting, you know, pro, uh, kind of production use, uh, use cases and uh, started getting like really applied in like 2014, 2015. And yeah, so, uh, so that I basically worked on uh, on kind of production applications of deep learning. Uh, we, we had this like framework called Cafe Tool, uh, which, uh, which kind of was continuation of Cafe and, start, and started with more like uh, production embedded focus and it was like pretty early 2015 2016 uh, you know tenderflow got released and uh, in like, uh, in 20 uh, what, like in 2016 like PyTorch project started at facebook and started more from like uh, research environment and i, I i've been basically involved with uh, uh, with this space since like maybe like early 2017 uh, when was still pretty young and like kind of starting from research environment and uh, kind of the main the, the main focus I was trying to figure out is like, hey, we have this like great product which researchers start like, how to how to bring uh, bring it, how to bring the, this innovation to production environment, right? How to make both sides of the pie happy. Uh, so that's basically when I started contributing, you know, contributing to PyTorch, and we can talk about this journey in more details uh, also if you guys like. But uh, kind of go uh, go into this transition, and yeah, so I kind of for the past like four almost uh, almost five years, I've basically been working on kind of PyTorch and mostly like kind of production related features and core of the framework and lately kind of focusing on pretty much everything everything there is about PyTorch, uh, which was which has been like super fun ride and uh, super uh, kind of super exciting. So yeah, so there, I mean the role I'm playing right now is kind of I'm one of the technical leads for the project and now now given that it became pretty big, uh, a pretty big project with lots of you know lots of contributions from from our company, but most excitingly there is. 
lots of vendors, lots of uh, cloud providers, which also contribute to the project to the community. So a lot of that is uh, basically making sure that you know, project maintains its coherency and kind of moves in a, in, in, in a meaningful direction. So it's kind of combination of focusing on core abstractions and community building pretty much anything needed to make it successful. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the questions that strikes me as I'm hearing about your journey is, you know, we are in an era in the tech job market where it's been hotter than ever. Uh, and we're in an era of like much shorter, I think, durations at companies than ever before, right? A lot of people are changing in nine months, one year, two years. The turnover has gotten a lot higher. And you've been at Facebook, now Meta, for 10 years. And I think that's really awesome. And can you shed a little bit light into why you've decided to stay so long and, and, and what led you to kind of, I'm sure that many, many interesting opportunities have come your way. What has kept your interest at Facebook uh, to have your roots planted so firmly there for so long? Yeah, I mean, I mean fundamentally, it's like in, in, inter, you know, interesting problems and having opportunity to have like impact uh, on meaningful sense. I mean, for, for me, kind of in, uh, more kind of machine learning infrastructure like developer space and i don't need to tell you that uh, kind of ai revolution adoption was pretty transformational right so whatever dimension you look at you know, starting from hardware and capabilities to you know scale of uh, number of developers to you know applications and different domains which you know within facebook or within uh, within industry kind of gets applied so that i mean th th that's been pretty much crazy rocket ship right so even though it's kind of like hey it's the same company like what what you kind of like what what you work on like which parts of their overall ecosystem you work on is uh, pretty changing i mean besides like i would i would say so like for petosh itself it's also i mean as i mentioned it's kind of it, it's it's community project right it's not only <laughs> only uh, kind of facebook meta project uh so it's i would actually feel that you know i feel that you kind of you work with you work with community you kind of you, you collaborate very actively with people from academia, from people from industry, from different hardware vendors. So it feels actually like pretty, pretty exciting and kind of like very different, almost like a running, running like kind of mini, mini startup project uh, yeah. across the industry, which is, which is also like adds a different, uh, a different flavor to it. So kind of combination of those, of those things, uh, if you look at it from, yeah, it's the same company, but uh, you know, number of different projects. And also like, if you look at kind of, scale of this area uh, and the kind of challenges which it goes through like yeah, that uh, that part changes uh, quite a bit both kind of like role I'm playing uh, on the team and kind of the, the main area and again since kind of ML and ML ops space grew kind of so uh, grew so much there's just like a lot of exciting opportunities <laughs> and a lot of yeah. problems to solve and uh, by you know, by uh, virtue of being kind of project I mean they have I, I can help solve those problems not only within Facebook or Meta, but also kind of help uh, other folks across the industry. That, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, the confluence of opportunity, scale, and just sort of, I would say, broader trends in the entire ecosystem and, and software world have combined to make your, your journey at Facebook quite the ride. You mentioned that you work on PyTorch and, you know, I think in the second half of the discussion, we really want to get into, you know, where PyTorch is and some of the nitty gritty there. But could you tell us a little bit more about what being um, a tech lead on the PyTorch project constitutes from the standpoint of the team that you work on and some of your day to day? Um, sure. So, I mean, um, it's probably, I mean, probably similar to like tech lead roles in like a, in different companies, right? So. I mean, it's based, I mean, it's primarily kind of being, be, uh, I think this role kind of changes a lot of this, you know, with scale of the project, right? Like if it's a uh, 10 people team and kind of everything is on fire or you need to sh uh, ship, uh, and you need to ship like new features and kind of like push things forward. Yeah, like that's kind of like much, much more day to day, I guess like now that it's, I mean, it, it's more mature project with a lot of, uh, you know, Lots of different focuses and, and sub areas, and also with a lot of kind of uh, different companies and different institutions contributing to this. Uh, I would say like the, I mean the kind of the, the things which I worry about is more like the overall kind of project and product direction is is actually coherent, and 
uh, we have like absolutely amazing people you know, working on PayTorch from all this, all the different companies. So it's mostly making sure that you know, as all different features are built and all, as this kind of technical evolution happens, it stays coherent and it stays as a kind of feels still as a unified user kind of user and product experience. Uh, and you know, our core abstractions or our like extension mechanisms can kind of support all the crazy uh, all the crazy stuff which uh, you know people want to build and people want to extend. Uh, so in terms of, I mean, in terms of day-to-day -day life, uh, I would say it's, you know, it's a, it, it's a mix of, you know, design discussions, spending time on GitHub. Uh, I'm probably doing like less coding right now, but still doing a lot of like code reviews and, and, and discussions, right? Like lots of talking to customers, uh, which in this case means, you know, researchers or apply the ML engineers, researchers, and kind of like getting a sense what their problems are, uh, you know, how, uh, what are the, what are the pain points or what are the cool things which are uh, which, which kind of happening out there or what, how we can basically help them to be more productive. Again, that happens both, both kind of outside of uh, outside of Facebook, but also within uh, kind of within Facebook with some of the internal teams we're working on. So it's kind of mix of, I would say, tech, uh, kind of technical uh, product, uh, product direction and, you know, just helping with the execution of some parts and making, uh, making sure that overall project still moves in the coherent direction so you mentioned before that when you started to get into the ml infra side of things there was a lot to work on and there was a lot of stuff that you could apply yourself to and i'm wondering what are some examples of the things that you were getting into over the last five years in that you mentioned now that you spend a lot of time on github or answering <laughs> questions, talking to users. But I imagine at the beginning, it was a lot different. What did that evolution look like? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, again, I would say like the, back to the part of you know, scaling, right? Like I, 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 would, I would actually say that like, you know, everything that kind of ML infra space is kind of driven by scaling, but scaling can be on different dimensions, right? I mean, there's kind of regular infrastructure scaling, which is, you know, models getting bigger, training data sets getting bigger. So you basically end up, you know, especially in the early days, but still even today, like you kind of, and your sizes of data sets are growing, your, you know, sizes of models are growing, so your you know, hardware capabilities are growing. So which means that you're in constant uh, kind of loop of, hey, well, what is the next bottleneck, how to optimize, how to scale, how to write the system, et cetera. So that's kind of like one, you know, trend which, which still continues, right? And uh, you know, you, you yeah. uh, people people are build, uh, all the hardware vendors building like even even cooler uh, even cooler, cooler chips, right? Uh, if you look at language models and you know scaling still continues with good uh, with good impact, which means that this trend is kind of not running out of steam uh, so far. Uh, you know, kind of different uh, dimension of scale. I mean, different dimension of scaling is kind of like developer, like I would say, like developer productivity scaling or like kind of number of developers scaling, right? And that's uh, I mean, I would like kind of two, two examples here, right? Like even within, you know, within Meta, within Facebook, uh, back in the, those days, like the way you kind of build infrastructure when, or like the, the way you kind of productionize something when you have five customers, like five teams doing machine learning, when you have 50 teams doing machine learning is kind of different, right? Because when uh, kind of in the early days, like, okay, we want to bring deep learning to, deep learning to production for, uh, for particular cases, whether it's like, you know, recommendation stuff, or whether it's maybe some uh, kind of uh, translation system or whatever, right? Uh, a lot of that becomes a kind of zero to one enablement, which you can work across across the board, trying to change all the level, uh, kind of change all the layers from hardware to like product requirements, kind of working all, all hands on deck, trying to kind of enable the, uh, enable this part. So this kind of like you know, zero to one type of enablement. And as where, you know, as number of these cases, number of developers scales, and you you, know, you have, uh, I mean, even within in Facebook, like thousands of developers doing FML, right? Like that just doesn't scale, right? Like you basically go into kind of more platformization stage, which is definitely what we, what we've been for the past like several years. Where okay, how do I build the best self-service tools, the best kind of in infrastructure and tooling, so people can uh, basically unblock themselves and they kind of be in more self-service fashion. So like, I think that was kind of like one uh, big big transition. Um, and I think like, uh, you know, with, with PyTorch, uh, I mean, because uh, because it's an you know, open source project, et cetera, you kind of on, always operating in this kind of product mode, right? Uh, we do, I mean, we do 
collaborate also with like you know power users like, you know when uh, when some uh, when people are pushing the boundary etc but like a lot of this is actually like hey how do we enable people to be productive and kind of how do we build basically a good developer product uh, so people can unblock their like try their ideas you know be, be productive unblock themselves try crazy new things and fundamentally like push kind of uh, push state of AI forward so th there is definitely like, more of this uh, product building mindset where in practice you even now I would say like there is like a mix of this kind of zero to one enablement and kind of feature product building uh, going on definitely is a kind of more transition uh, towards service platform and kind of product building I would say over, uh, over the years it's really helpful to hear your perspective on the different kinds of scale and how that influences work I think one of the most challenging parts of working in a, in, an, in a realm like machine learning engineering that is changing so frequently is that your type of work has to change to confront the problems that you're at. Uh, it could be productionization of, of more models. It could be the fact that your team is growing. There are any number of challenges that happen in with, with respect to scale in such a fast moving profession and field that we're all in. And I think that your perspective on that is really helpful. And with that, I think we have a really good segue into talking more specifically about PyTorch. It's, I think, a popular topic in our community to talk about. We have a thriving channel called MLOps Questions Answered, and people are asking questions about different frameworks, what tools to use. And, you know, in the last few months to years, PyTorch has seen amazing improvements from uh, an even more rich ecosystem to improvements in performance, to improvements in usability. As somebody that originally started off in the deep learning world doing TensorFlow, I look at PyTorch now and I see something very different than what it was when I first got into deep learning. So in your words, you know, we can read the press releases and, and we can see and experiment with it. But in your words, as one of the architects of the current project and the future of the project, where do you see PyTorch is now? And where do you think it's going in the future? So I mean, I would I mean I would actually kind of roll back and like try to uh, start starting from the history and like try try, try to understand like you know why why PyTorch was was successful. Um, I think like one way to understand this is I mean basically I would uh, kind of reduce it down to like usability uh, to a big extent. Uh, and basically, I think what uh, I think what happened is uh, is that there are different you know in ML space, there are like different roles kind of playing in this process, right? There is kind of modeler, which might be you know, AI researchers, people trying to build models and kind of try to drive innovation. Uh, you have kind of folks uh, trying to optimize and drive performance and drive uh, kind of productionization or scaling of particular like subset of models which works, right? So kind of it's called like system optimizers or whatever. And you have like all kind of, you know, application developers which have the challenges how to Take my model and like deploy it in an application, or maybe like ship it on device and like in some in some environment. And I think uh, you know early on, like Petrov basically made a bet of saying that okay, uh, it's really important to make like modeler happy, <laughs> happy first, uh, because this is what drives kind of like fundamentally drives innovation of AI so far. Uh, and this trend ha hasn't been like uh, deaccelerating <laughs> so far. So basically, if you look at uh, you know what is the state of AI models uh, over the years, like there's a lot of incremental improvements. You know, number of <laughs> number of papers published absolutely crazy, you know, and all, all the benchmarks have been pushed. But also, most importantly, like every few years, there is like kind of new <laughs> new revolution coming in, right? Like if you if you look at like CV, uh, original Alex Nets and VGGs got replaced by Nets, got replaced by like more efficient uh, efficient architectures in NLP, you know. Like, Two three years ago, with the advent of transform transformers, kind of everybody was doing LSTMs. Nobody <laughs> is doing LSTMs now. Uh, people trying NLP. So like, there's a lot of churn, kind of in uh, type of computation and like type, uh, kind of type of models which people are doing, which basically means that there is like, a, and this churn is like validated because uh, it you know AI is basically applied science field. So the only way to the progress is to increase the federation and try new ideas and. If you try new ideas faster, you you end up with you know more more progress on average. So, what uh, I mean that's why like I think you know especially in the early days, I kind of putting the modeler first was really crucial because that's kind of like where the the flow of innovation in AI space 
happens, kind of flowing from research, flowing from research to production. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, this with with PyTorch, I mean, like we can talk about it in more detail, but yeah, like kind of like did, did it, uh, kind of made a few bets and like trying to make basically modular experience being programming, right? So you you kind of go from like opaque system, hey, like I have basically generic uh, purpose programming language, I have Python, so I can do like I, it's easy for me to try ideas. It is it. It's usable, it's flexible, it's extensible. And the kind of this idea I think like was at the core of the project, especially in the beginning, because frankly, I mean like performance had some games, it wasn't the, for, the fastest framework, uh, framework route, especially initially, right? Like, but the usability really kind of would drop the success. And that's you know 2017, 20, 2018, kind of like early research days. And like what we found is like as we kind of go go from like just purely research focus in kind of 2018, uh, 2019 as we kind of expanded to, 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 over, to try to cover overall uh, kind of journey of AI development. Uh, we actually found that like this kind of focus on usability and kind of flexibility is also like really important for like other <laughs> types of people too, right? Like if you're if you a system optimizer then often, you know, you might have very automated solutions, but it might, but they might not work, et cetera, but like actually being able to like, Debug and being able to extend and being able to you know customize things for for your application is often like very powerful for those group for those groups too. Uh, so this kind of like idea of flexibility and usability expanded you know proven to be very useful for uh, for other audiences too. And yeah, I think that's kind of I'd say like one key, like if I were to distill, like of course there is a lot of other aspects, but I think that's one of the kind of key ideas we showed this still, and that basically led to, you know. I think trying to make customers <laughs> happy with good tools, and it also meant uh, meant that like it's you know, easy for community to build extensions and build stuff on top of PyTorch and like take it to uh, you know, take all the build all these projects which uh, take it and apply it to all the crazy <laughs> crazy areas, right? Like from across different domains, across different applications, you know, from like <laughs> from like medical to you know, I don't know space engineering, whatever whatever people do to kind of bring it to different you know, integrations in the ecosystem, etc. So that's kind of like also stems from that fact. I'm fascinated to think about how much of the product development comes from where you think things need to go, where the different papers that are coming out say, or you see trends in the papers that are coming out, and then just what the community is asking for. How do you balance all of these different pieces? Yes. Uh, so, I mean, it's, you know, you, you, you kind of try to like, <laughs> you try to aggregate them, right? And like try to see what are the trends and what are the patterns. I mean, I would say there are several kind of principles. I mean, like for stuff which you, you can think of it like multi, multi-tiered, uh, kind of multi-tiered environment, right? Like you, because for stuff which lands in PyTorch core itself, right? Like it needs to be, you know, that, that's probably what something which a lot of people will be using, right? Uh, which uh, which needs to be like super stable, needs to be like very backward compatible, needs to be like very polished. So you kind of want to hold relatively higher bar of like, hey, this is a standard uh, you know, stuff which proven to be useful across maybe multiple domains, uh, stuff which is uh, more kind of like, uh, more promising, less li less likely to change. It kind of makes sense to maintain uh, over, over long time, but it doesn't mean that like you know, frameworks block uh, the messages I talked about. Like you, you kind of want to enable flexibility. So you kind of end up with this, I would say, like process of what we focus a lot is like making sure that there are right primitives and extension points at the core of the framework, right? So if people want to build, like if people have a, cr a crazy idea or have something which they want to build a research, they can. So like definitely extension points and kind of like new fundamental capabilities like hey how do I how can I send PyTorch from <laughs> from IDN operator to new new transformation to a new vendor type like connected to my data source of the like, so all of that is enabled. Uh, and that enables kind of community to build <laughs> all different projects on top. And uh, you know very likely if you have latest paper or or if you have a kind of integration with some <laughs> particular production system if you like search that name PyTorch in GitHub, you'll find either original implementation or somebody ported it in pretty, pretty quickly, which is pretty, uh, which is kind of pretty awesome. And then as you know, as like some techniques become more mature and kind of become like more widely applicable, uh, then it makes sense to kind of upstream and absorb them into uh, kind of PyTorch core package itself. So you know they they can be more easily accessible to like even broader audience of uh, even broader audience of 
you know, people. And like we, you have this, I mean, and this kind of trend of enable extension points and enable people to build on top and, you know, then work with community to like bring the best uh, pieces kind of, you know, polish, standardize them and like make them <laughs> broadly applicable to the whole user base. It's kind of like what kind of happens all the time, right? Like, and it happens in multiple dimensions. It happens on, you know, what is your latest, uh, you know, loss function that you might want to include, right? It happens on performance optimization things. It happens kind of on infrastructure extensions, etc. And I mean, I know as an, as an example, right? Like if you look at mixed precision training, for example, a few years back, right? Like it started as uh, actually like NVIDIA package in, uh, in Apex, uh, uh, like kind of experimenting with many different ways of like, hey, how can I uh, kind of tweak FP16 to work and how do I scale my loss and how do I do all the tricks? Uh, they were able to do this by, by kind of like extending PyTorch <laughs> without changing, changing the core, you know, by experimenting with many projects in community, etc. like kind of converts to good recipes, which like few years to maybe like year and a half back, like what actually upstream to PyTorch itself. So now you can just use you know, mixed precision directly from the package. And like this kind of uh, basically trend is constant, right? And you kind of look at you know, interest from community, you look at uh, kind of adoption, etc. Make <laughs> to, to 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 kind of source the interest of like hey how how useful is this particular uh, building block is broadly like does it make sense to kind of bring it in and professionalize that and of course it like depends also like often like authors of this particular block like hey does it want to upstream does it want to <laughs> does it want to contribute etc I mean that's obviously the best the best thing for for open source project and you kind of look at the other side like hey it would be like the Kind of how likely is this primitive to be stable over long time? Or like, is it still faster moving? And maybe like best source community is still like being faster moving other other repository. And after some time, like it can be like more sanitized and settled down. Basically. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting journey to see how modern open source projects manage their growth. Uh, it is a beautiful creative dance, honestly, between all the different minds that get involved and the perspectives. And honestly, some of the most informative things for me have been just about engineering design, have been reading some of the threads that go in on, on the PRs that, you know, are ultimately committed to a project like a PyTorch or, you know, a TensorFlow or anything that's out there, you know, whether it's a bug resolution or sort of even a bigger picture discussion, seeing how the community is thinking about them on these open forums has been really influential for my understanding of how these tools are meant to be used. For our community, you know, we focus primarily on this notion of MLOps, right? Which is implementing and productionizing or creating um, production machine learning systems. And I think I would love to get your sense, um, specifically on that notion of production, uh, how you see PyTorch evolving to support more MLOps workflows and and what might be on the roadmap. I see a lot of things have already happened, you know, things like distributed training and, and so much more have, have, have really improved the functionality of MLOps, but, or of PyTorch for MLOps. But wh where what additional things can we expect uh, out yeah, of the PyTorch? Yeah, so I mean, yes, yeah, so, like generally I would like partition kind of this like, space, space of how to bring, you know, Research the production for uh, for ML for like deep learning models in particular. Like I think there are like several buckets, right? Uh, I mean, there is like part of optimizing, you know, optimizing modeling code itself, right? Like, so that's where you know, architecture optimization techniques like quantization, sparsity, whatever, hopefully, in like kind of just general like framework performance optimization. So I mean, you know, that, that, that's been happening within PyTorch itself. It's been happening like many uh, uh, kind of repositories and projects. Kind of being built on top, so that's that area is definitely definitely evolving. So you know, there is like uh, lots of perfect optimizations and uh, kind of quantization tweaks, etc. Being really cheap is pretty much every release. I would say uh, you know as a bucket is as you mentioned, a kind of scaling and distributed training, uh, where where again like uh, I think uh, that there is like a lot of uh, uh, like a lot of exciting things both on Making you know, making it easier to try uh, new algorithms. Right? Like, hey, what what are the right building blocks for if I'm trying to you know, come up come up and research with, with latest idea, or but also bringing like standard uh, 
well well proven like distributed training primitives. So they're uh, kind of solutions. So they're generally useful, right? You know, for for a few years, like distributed data parallel, kind of like data parallelism was kind of all you need, right? Like in the past uh, in the past year, there's a lot of excitement about this, like uh, kind of how do I share uh, how do I share how do I do model parallelism, how do I do pipeline parallelism. So like a lot of this is actually like uh, kind of was prototype in different uh, kind of community repositories. We are working with community to kind of bring bring those pieces, uh, directly, so like uh, fully shared data parallel, like, which is example of like uh, which is basically uh, deep inspired by like uh, deep speed zero three, right? Like landing pipeline for these primitives. Like there's a lot a lot of building bots there, uh, but that that's still I would say like it's more kind of internal to the you know, modeling developer development itself, uh, and then there is kind of how to kind of second bucket which is like hey how how can framework like uh, like PyTorch kind of enable like make it easier to basically integrate deep learning application in a broader kind of ml pipeline or kind of ml ml ecosystem right and there um, I, I like to think about it as like what are the touch points what kind of like connections between uh, between like model code basically and and surrounding pipeline surrounding like MLOps ecosystem Right, and those uh, and those uh, connection points are usually come like, hey, how do I ingest my data? Right, how do I uh, interface this distributed uh, training? How do I make it very easy to like launch uh, launch jobs on different cluster uh, cluster infrastructure? You know, launch distributed training is still is still a pain in all uh, on all the different schedules and different network types and <laughs> everybody like on prem or cloud environments. Uh, and it's also like how do I save intermediate results at checkpoints or whatever? How do I report metrics for experiment management? So if I'm like if I have multiple runs, how do I track track all of that, etc.? And finally, when I go to like actually like after validation, how do I go to deployment? Like how do I take my model and embed it in uh, different embed it in production environment, whether it's like server side or whether it's on device, right? So that's kind of like surface area I would say, which kind of sits between like framework and MLOps part and uh, kind of one of the big focuses of PyTorch over the past like year or two is, but was also like, hey, how do we make this um, kind of connection points uh, as much as possible? And you know, I can uh, kind of con con concrete uh, concrete investments uh, here. So there is uh, I mean, some of the stuff lends into PyTorch itself. For example, like distributed launching, there's been kind of a lot, lot of development with like Torch Elastic for distributed run to like make it easier. Uh, we are uh, there uh, on uh, kind of on serving side. Uh, there is third surf, which is actually built by communities like started by AWS, and it's, it's now pretty for like, hey, ready to use uh, kind of data center side model service, uh, model server, with, you know, easy to get started with all the uh, kind of patient integration, all the uh, all the kind of support, so you can drop it in the infrastructure and can integrate with uh, with a different cluster management, with you know. Uh, Kubernetes or whatever you can integrate with the different pipeline management, etc. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I mentioned like a, a, a kind of ML, kind of ML experimentation tracking examples. So, hey, what does the integrate if I'm building my uh, training job with I want to report metrics. So, kind of working, uh, making sure that the like, interface of how those metrics are collected is <laughs> is kind of like good and standardized. So, there is some RFC actually now about like uh, torch metrics for for that. But like we already have. Some integra integrations with projects like MLflow or weights and biases, all of it, which kind of, hey, if I have my, uh, if I if you have my deep learning model, it's very, you know, if you lines of pipeline to integrate with that, and yeah, I started with like you know data ingestion and etc. So making you know, making making sure like again working with community, making sure that like I have data loaders for like you can find out there like data loaders for whatever different sources of. Um, uh, so, so different sources of uh, data, whether it's like, if I'm running on AWS, I have like this adapter or GCP adapter, etc. So uh, that's we actually just uh, like AWS just released like kind of more scalable SV adapter, for example. And there is also like uh, kind of revamp for data loader going on. So there is torch slash data by uh, torch slash data project for torch data, which kind of try to complementate data loader and make this kind of uh, scaling integrating different environments for data reading. Uh, uh, data reading one easy. So I kind of gave you a number of examples of this uh, on, on this side. Uh, I would, uh, kind of under, we are trying to kind of build more kind of coherent story, like, hey, this is all the extension points and work basically with leading projects which represent instances of MLOps pipeline in that space, whether it's, you know, more uh, kind of uh, kind of 
standalone cloud diagnostic projects uh, like wasted by the server flow whatever or or ray or etc or whether it's actually like you know managed solutions like cloud providers provide like whether it's vertex ai or um you know sage maker uh, etc just to, just to make sure it's like hey this extension points work for them and they can integrate you know, if i'm using PyTorch in that environment like st stuff checks out and it's actually easy for me to take my standard job and like get get data like pull up data reading uh start uh, start distributed training you know uh, make serving easy and fundamentally integrate it all into uh, into ml pipeline so that's uh that's kind of the focus and one uh, yeah like another example of kind of project in, uh, in the space which kind of trying to build in decision points we just released a kind of better uh, better project called torchex which uh, which basically tries to uh i mean you can you, you can go to fighters.org slash torchex which kind of tries to uh, tries to create like uh, you, standard interface for like components, uh, like components of Python applications. So you can write basically, I mean, you, you can basically wrap your training script and like write some small app spec and be able to take it to like be able to launch it standalone on a variety of different schedulers. So you kind of have like one common uh, kind of one interface to launch it on Storm or Kubernetes or whatever you have on prem, but also kind of plug it into different like pipeline solutions, whether it's like okay, you know. Could flow pipelines or like airflow or whatever. So it's kind of for, again like to see the same theme of uh, extension points and kind of fostering existing stuff. Like, hey, what what is the right you know how we can give the right API and right abstraction so it's easy for community to like you know, build re reusable components and then like bring them to different kind of MLOps environments. Which again, as you mentioned, this space is uh, MLOps space is, is still very early, which means that it's very fragmented very partitioned so uh kind of making integration easier is actually often a uh, highest leverage thing to kind of remove friction uh, from the other side so that's that's kind of one big theme uh which you know being uh, in general fetish community is trying to uh trying to enable yeah coherence integration extensibility sounds like this is the next evolution of PyTorch or the continuation of the maturity of PyTorch, which is exciting to hear because this is always something in the community that I think we struggle with is like, how do we build, you know, whether it's at companies that are building platforms internally uh, or adopting external tools, whatever it might be, that coherence, integration, extensibility to make it so that it is seamless to go from the modelers who are doing interesting experiments, ultimately to business value. Uh, that's, that is the hard part. And it's exciting to hear how PyTorch is thinking about that from the context of production ML workflows. With that, I do have one question on a favorite topic for us, which is we love to bring guests on and ask about war stories or sort of lessons they learned from failures. A lot of times, as you mentioned earlier in one of your answers, you know, iteration is a big part of actually moving forward in machine learning projects, right? You need to try an idea, maybe it fails, maybe it succeeds, but you learn something from that. Can you tell us, maybe it's a feature that you launched that you didn't expect, um, or didn't get as much traction as you expected. Maybe it's, you know, a bug that was released in, you know, one of the versions of PyTorch. Can you tell us about a failure or a war story in PyTorch and in your work on PyTorch that has taught you about how production uh, machine learning uh, actually has to happen? I mean, I would, yeah, I mean, I would probably, yeah, I mean, it's not really a war story. It's more like kind of an inter interesting, like more strategic learning. But like I, when I was uh, talking, uh, I mean, I was, when I was talking earlier about like bringing re research to product, uh, kind of research to production, and kind of I was mentioning uh, PyTorch and Cafe uh, kind of uh, having to, uh, having the frameworks. I think we, we actually, like, it, I think it's more like kind of strategy mistaken learning. You know, we started with this environment saying like, okay, maybe like research and production are different enough and people want flexibility on research side and people want you know, product optimization on the other side. Like, so let's, let's, let's build two frameworks and we will export from PyTorch and we will serve on Cafe 2 and we kind of create this <laughs> transition part. So like I was, you know, trying, try, uh, trying to build this process, uh, process over. And yeah, the learning is basically that you can get it working for, you know, pretty standard models, right? Like it's very easy to get, uh, you know, it's very easy to get started and say like, oh, okay, great, my like ResNet comes through and 
I, I can enable some pipeline and it's like very, very easy to get uh, something going. But then like as your number of, uh, use, okay, number of use cases grows, you, 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 like if you don't have like well set out uh, kind of core primitives and if you're trying to convert from one framework to another kind of wholesale model, that actually your kind of like space of what your programs might represent is kind of arbitrary. It's basically arbitrary Python code. You just like find like all the crazy things which people want to do it for good reasons. Like, oh, you assume that, oh, maybe like all my models will have static shapes. Like, no, in reality, it's like there is so much dynamic there. Oh, like they will definitely not have control flow, but like, oh, I want to like put control flow there. Oh, like it definitely, you know, all the all people want to write is kind of more neural networkish stuff, but then people start adding like crazy pre-processing, or they start, you know, they start saying like, oh, I want to like put my Bing search in in the same environment, etc. And yeah, I guess like the learning is that uh, back to the theme of like flexibility and like how the workloads in the space uh, space evolve is that. It's important to enable like overall flexibility, and like uh, and enable for like fundamentally for ML developers like get stuff working relatively easily, and that's where kind of perspective of general programming languages and kind of like basically enable people to write code is, <laughs> is very powerful. Uh, but then like yeah, there are parts where you know, crazy performance optimizations and uh, where like you know squeezing out last bits of performance is, is really important, but like those are usually concentrated to like maybe smaller number of models or smaller parts of overall models, right? I might have my entire training script really big, but like 95% you know, of computers spend on, uh, on, a, on a few modules and like, yeah, give, again, like give people tools to optimize those, those few modules, but like still leaves them kind of flexibility for the, for the entire environment. So I guess, yeah, like our learning with this kind of conversion serialization process was that, yeah, it's actually, um, you know, it's important to have specialized and performance solutions, right? Like, and, you know, if you're running your tenant your nervous, like yes, you want you should you should use like TensorT, for example, because like you know, <laughs> Nvidia like really optimized for GPU server. Like I mean, you want to use specialized solution, but like you don't want to. It's not all all or nothing kind of choice. You want to enable people to like use specialized solutions for like parts of their workload, which is which they want. But uh, this kind of like simplified view of like oh, I'm like gonna take my uh, I'm going to take my workload and convert it to something else wholesale. Uh, kind of usually fails because, yeah, just uh, <laughs> workloads are just too crazy and there is a lot of stuff going on with it. But if you enable this kind of specialization incrementally and you unlock people like take this part of model and do something with it, like, yeah, that's much more powerful. And that's why we kind of, uh, you know, circa like 2017, 2018, like transition from this state of like, okay, Treating model like okay, I'm taking the whole model and like exporting to something else for serving. The so more than especially in like the center stuff, uh, the model environment. Okay, I still keep in my model, but then like incrementally as I you want to optimize, like incrementally take different parts of it and like maybe specialize the solutions or you know simplify them so they can go into like more specialized serving solutions, etc. While still allow it, like so it's easy to get something working and then making it you know fast incrementally after. So I think while still staying pretty much yeah. the same. Kind of the same environment, and that's you know when this kind of pivot to PyTorch as a framework serving both instead of trying to export, but like but integrate with different runtimes and integrate with different specialization solutions. Kind of this strategic pivot happened. So I guess yeah, that's one. I mean, it's not really a worst story, but like it's more. I mean, more, more learning from a lot of worst stories of uh, of like re repeatedly getting like oh okay like and people wanted this kind of flexibility or this kind of fit or <laughs> that kind of change etc. And kind of. Uh, repeating that yeah it feels like the those two different use cases or the the broader picture there is you have these basic where you want to just prove something out as fast as possible see if it works use cases and then you have the other use cases where something is working and you want to throw everything at it and make sure that you can optimize it to the maximum and those two worlds are very, very far apart. And so you probably had a ton of learnings from that. Just and so it does, it's a, it's a culmination of many different war stories, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. And I would say that, like, I mean, and they're, I mean, they're far apart, but they're not, I mean, they, they, I wouldn't say that they're far apart, right? Because you, if you, like, there's constant funnel of going between them, right? So it's kind of tempting to think that they're far apart and uh, yeah. Okay. And like, basically, yeah, war, story, war stories that like, they're actually 
like there is constant flow of kind of new ideas or new models or new pipelines between those worlds. So it's a funnel, yeah. right? And uh, you shouldn't think of it as, hey, there is like one mountain, another mountain, and like we build different solutions for this. We should think of it as kind of incremental process. And yes, there is a specialization optimization, but you you should think of it as you know, how do I make not, not just without a lot of performance for like this workload, but like how do I make this journey of like I'm starting with a thousand of ideas and maybe try hundred of them and maybe you know mm -hmm. ten of them are promising to run in uh, in, in some letters and maybe like one of them gets shipped. How to like optimize this funnel, right? And yeah. how to make this kind of transition hypothesizing like that. That's kind of like it, I, I think important learning and often you know. Of, of, often people kind of like miss when trying to build them all workload because it's like tempting to start like, oh, okay, we know what the workload is going to be today and we'll design system for this. And then it mm -hmm. becomes obsolete or et cetera. So kind of thinking of this mindset is well, like pretty important. And yeah, it feels like what you're also focusing on, if I'm understanding this correctly, is once you've proven something out, then making the transition from just that toy model that you've proven out to a highly optimized model, that path of merging these two models, you want to try and make as seamless as possible. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so how to, or, or how to like, I mean, and now with uh, people trying to, you know, with so many different hardware platforms and cetera popping up, it's also how to even like second order of that, which is like how to enable different hardware vendors to build, you know, <laughs> solutions where they can do this optimization, whether you have like a great yeah. chip or you have the latest and all that. Where they, yeah, they rave about PyTorch and they tell everyone about the, they write blog posts yeah. about how fast it is when you use their chip and, and PyTorch together. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, I know we're coming low on time, but I got one last question and it is around the work of a machine learning engineer and the work of a software engineer, how you see those two worlds, uh, if we're talking about worlds still, is, is there emerging happening? Do you feel like, I, I've heard some people talk on here about how in the future, everyone is going to be dealing with data so much that there's not going to be a specific software engineer that doesn't touch data. And so I'm wondering how you look at machine learning engineers, how you look at software engineers and where you think that's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree with the statement. I mean, actually, I think like one part of which like, I think this is probably more specific to Facebook, like we, we don't, like uh, in a lot of like production teams are kind of like, teams doing machine learning, there is actually not much separation between, uh, you know, kind of, so sometimes people have like separate more like uh, data scientists and people kind of bring in prioritization to that. Uh, and, and people who like bring those models to, to production, it's like it's, all, since the beginning it was like pretty blurred. So you basically have like ML engineers who like do operate in ML mode, but like they are, they are to the biggest time like actually bring uh, bring this innovation to production uh, to production directly. So like integration in, in prod system, etc. So I definitely see that that line being blurred uh, blurred kind of intention from the beginning because yeah, fundam I mean fundamentally, like I think you're you know, whether it's engineer or manager, you're trying to solve yeah you know, you're trying to solve like resultant problem, right? Uh, how uh, and you're absolutely right that like. I think more and more there'll be the transition from like solving problems by like basically heuristics and the kind of de design ahead of time, right? Like leverage leveraging data, <laughs> leveraging data automatically, right? Which is basically the essence of uh, the essence of machine learning. But like still, so the type of work and like the type of iteration changes, but like the fundamental outcome, like you still want to you know deliver and product value whatever your product is. Uh, it's just like the most effective way of doing this is like uh, is actually uh, in all the cases turns out uh, turns out instead of crossing heuristics is basically it is it, kind of doing machine learning so this transition happens but so I would imagine that yeah more and more people would be doing kind of ML as a uh, as a part of their project especially in you know, products which you know 
the the whole data or like benefit from this pleasure, which expands, <laughs> which which expands quite a bit. So yeah, uh, more and more regular engineers should should learn this space. And you know, we are yes. ML like you folks at ML uh, MLOps community, right? Like I'm also working on infrastructure. I guess like you know, our our job uh, like our job is to make the best tools <laughs> to kind of enable this uh, this innovation process, both for Folks are all, already pretty uh, pretty far on like uh, trying to advance idea, pushing the envelope to be flexible, but also for for people who are, like just getting into kind of this data driven ML mindset, like by providing them like maybe higher level abstraction, maybe like auto ML style building blocks, so they can like still leverage their and you know that 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 space where like auto ML and like you know project you had Jeremy Howard here like you know projects like fast AI like really really shine like how to bring the best practices and the kind of like the best know-how is maybe like higher level building blocks uh to enable can enable them to trade and like apply to different problems you know, like yeah i think this space acceleration we definitely you know we see it in pretty much all the companies in PyTouch <laughs> might include it that uh like both kind of fundamental innovation kind of a modeling level goes forward but also like just the number of people who like maybe want to apply it to different domains and kind of like maybe sit a level higher and want to use this kind of Standard solutions are ML project. Both of those are growing quite a bit, and yeah, <laughs> more and more people will be doing ML uh, in the future. I wouldn't say that maybe everyone, but <laughs> quite a bit more. That has that concludes a incredible discussion. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dimitro. Uh, your observations on going from research to production. Uh, telling us a little bit more about PyTorch and the future of machine learning engineering. All your lessons have been invaluable and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lots of fun. Thank you. Yeah, man. This Any last awesome. words, Dimitris? Yeah, I I kept thinking every time you'd say his name, Vishnu, I kept thinking you're about to say my name and I'd be like, oh, what? <laughs> Uh, we got different spellings. yeah different spellings but it is from the same origin so yeah thank you a lot i look forward to meeting you in person and this is great everybody that is listening if you enjoyed it of course you can jump into our mlops community slack and get more information that's happening daily there there's all kinds of great people that are teaching and very kind with their time and just answering questions that you may have, or you might be one of those people that wants to be kind with your time. So jump in the community Slack. And as always, if you liked this episode and you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, give us a like, a follow, uh, whatever it is on the platform that you are listening on. That would be super helpful. And I think that is about it. We've done a lot, as you said, Vishnu. I'll wrap it up here. See you, everybody.